Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I've got to the point in my life where I'm like, I don't want to be liked, I want to be respected. And when someone says they respect me, or either they respect me within my job or just they respect what I do or who I am, that's so much bigger than being liked. Hello, and welcome to The Body Protest. In this podcast, we combine storytelling with science to better understand our relationship with our bodies. I'm Nadia Craddock, and I'm a body image researcher. And I'm Honey Ross, and I'm a writer. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Three, two, one. Hi, Hi body protesters. <laughs> we are in an element of lockdown. <laughs> we thought it was time to start speaking in unison uh, because it's gotten to that point of the pandemic. We are back with another bonus episode. And we are actually joined today by the OG body protest guest, Michelle Elman. Yeah, Michelle is a life coach, author, and can be found online at Scarred Not Scared. She was on our very first episode of The Body Protest. So if you enjoyed this episode, highly recommend you go back and listen to Michelle speaking on that episode one, Weight Does Not Equal Health. Michelle is speaking to us today about her brand new book, The Joy of Being Selfish. What a title, what a woman. It is so good, I cannot tell you. We had the pleasure of reading it early before it came out, but you can get it now. And I think, yeah, we all have a lot to learn from Michelle. I think boundaries are so vital right now and people are struggling to set them up. We're all struggling to set them. Right now, when the lines in our lives are so blurred, learning how to place these boundaries for ourselves is the most incredible act of self-care. Completely. I couldn't agree more. There's so much that Michelle said that I felt like she was speaking to me. I think boundaries, it's such a buzzword. We hear it all the time, but actually practically, how do you set it? Much easier to say than do. So I think having that laid out both in the book and with our conversation with Michelle is super, super helpful. Really hope you enjoy. I hope you enjoy. I know you speak about boundaries a lot, but I'm curious to know what inspired you to write the book and perhaps why now? And maybe before you answer to give a little bit of a definition of what you mean by boundaries. So the definition of boundaries to me is what is and isn't acceptable about how someone treats you. And how I got passionate about boundaries is simply because that's what changed my own life. And I know the phrase change your life is quite a cliched thing to say, but considering that I made my name, I guess, or my career in social media based off the fact that I talked about self-love and body positivity. It only took like a few years of doing that to go, you know what, that didn't, that did help, but the self-esteem part actually doesn't come connected to the body confidence part. And I think it only took me until I had the self-esteem part to realize, oh wait, you can still love your body and not love yourself or like you can still love your body but not like yourself and I actually think like I might have loved myself to an extent but to like yourself is something really different to know why someone wants to be friends with you to know why spending time with you is your time is valuable why you're worth something 
And all of those aspects, the self-esteem aspect came from setting boundaries. And so I, I say you can't love yourself if you're surrounded by people who treat you like crap. And that's essentially what people with bad boundaries do. So if you're walking through the world, trying so hard to love yourself with all of the systemic stuff already against you, why are you then having your life filled with people who are not making it any easier? And I certainly had a habit of surrounding myself with people who um, tolerated me is probably the best word, tolerated me instead of celebrated me. And I remember in one of, I talk about a story in the book where I didn't set boundaries, but I cut someone out. And I use it as an example of there's a difference between cutting someone out and setting boundaries and then cutting someone out. And I remember in that argument, my housemate saying, do you know how much we have to tolerate living with you? And I just remember that word tolerate stuck in my head. And I like, thankfully I had amazing friends in uni who like basically whisked me away and gave me every single reason to not go back to that apartment. And I remember repeating that to my friend and being like, what exactly is there to tolerate about me? But sometimes it takes someone saying that to you to go, this is not how it should be. And like, even with someone with low self-esteem, once someone says they tolerated you for the last year, you were just a bit like, well, you shouldn't have done that. But also I shouldn't have put up with that. And so it was kind of this bit by bit, small step process of realizing I'm surrounding myself with people who just are not nice to me. Like they might be nice people, but they weren't nice to me. Mm. And so boundaries changed my life. And then how I wanted to write a book about it was because I learned everything I know about boundaries from a person called Michelle Zelli. She's my life coach. So when other people were like, do you have a resource on it? I was like, it's not the fact that I don't know a resource because I've read all the books on boundaries. I can't recommend one that I practice from or I preach from because I practice from a person. It's kind of that thing of, um, what's that quote from Toni Morrison, I think? If you want a book to exist in the world and it doesn't exist, it's your duty to write it. It's kind of that thing. And I put down everything I knew and kind of just had to get to the point where I was like, I'm the person ready to release this book. And that was the more time-consuming thing than actually knowing I wanted to write the book. We are so grateful that you've written this book. There was so much I was reading where I was like, I mean, not only having moments where I'm like, God, I wish I could have read this a couple of years ago, but like, I want to give this to my mum. I want to give this to my auntie. Like, I want to give this to everybody. Like, oh, that's so lovely. I mean, please do. (laughs) Please give it to everyone. (laughs) Was there for you kind of a come to Jesus moment where you were like, right, I am living as an unboundary person. You know, you talk about that in the book. Was there a moment where you were like, right, this, this can't go on anymore. I think that argument that happened with my housemates, so it's three housemates against me, and they said some awful things. I said some awful things. I How that conversation ended wasn't really a conversation, but how the argument ended was me storming out that flat and never coming back again. I lived there, so my friends had to pack up my stuff. So that was one of the moments, and largely because not because of what I'd said, I've been in arguments where friends had said hurtful things, but largely because I yelled at them. And so I walked out and went, I never want to yell at a friend ever again. And I made that promise to myself and it's been seven years now and I've never done it since. So maybe that was more so me breaking my own boundaries, breaking what morals and values I want to live by. But the second point was 
at the exact same point in my life, final year of university, I was at a birthday party and my boyfriend had called me and I didn't pick up and I didn't text him for like an hour. And I remember I texted him saying, hey, Mr. your call, what's up? And he replied, that's strange. You're usually at my beck and call. And I don't like, I don't know why, but those words just stuck in my head. And it was just that feeling of not only did you say it, but you like, you knew, like, you know, I have bad boundaries more than I know I have bad boundaries, but also you had the nerve to say that to my face, like not even just think it. Um, And so it was that thing of, wow, like, even if I don't realize I have bad boundaries, everyone else realizes I have it. And I love that you talk about that in the book of like, for some people, boundaries are just common sense. And, you know, unfortunately for a lot of people, they're not. And I'm definitely, I've been that person. I still am that person with certain areas of my life. But I like that you acknowledge that it is difficult and it is still an ongoing thing. And also on the reverse of that, that people are very much aware when others don't have boundaries. There are people who have that uh, side of themselves where they are taking advantage of that. I've definitely experienced people using my lack of boundaries against me. But I think it's the perfectionism around boundaries that causes the problem because it's this idea you're meant to be doing something new for the first time, but doing it perfectly. And when people first set boundaries... I call it like the pendulum swing, which kind of happens in everything in self-development, but also in society. It swings one way and then swings back. The same with boundaries. I went from being too lenient to being too severe to then being too lenient again. And you you take some time to find your middle ground. And at this point in my life, there are people who go, oh, your boundaries are a bit too firm. You're, you're one of the stories of the book where you went, no, that's too harsh. <laughs> and... But that's your right. That's 100% your right to believe it. And your your point between the two pendulum swings might be more lenient than mine. But who's to say I'm right and you're wrong? I'm not. It's They're your boundaries and they're my boundaries, but our boundaries are different. And especially when it comes to my boundaries, I generally get you're too harsh, you're too. And I, I but it's where I happily sit. Um, yeah. And I had to figure that out for myself. And then I also think it's having the experience of it going, no okay so this isn't actually me being too severe this is my boundaries not being convenient to you and so there were moments when I'd be too severe or too strict or too firm and to be honest it changes it fluctuates there are moments in the I've written down in the book including the situation which Honey is mentioned in although her name isn't mentioned so you'll just have to guess we we should tell it well do you want to do you want I don't mind I mean come on like my whole ass is I think it was pre-pandemic but right before you started writing the book because I remember the boy it was I had gone on two dates with a boy he had become very very intense very quickly and then like dropped off the grid and I was like you set the pace this was very weird you know it was just one of those things but I'd obviously gone to Michelle for advice and she sent me the most brutal text back like she was like this is what you need to send to him okay so in hindsight so now when I read it back, it's funny because I was reading the audiobook yesterday. I was literally recording it yesterday and I was reading that section and I was like, okay, honey might have been a little bit right. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I do fluctuate, but it's okay to fluctuate. That's what I'm saying. Like this perfectionist, you need to follow this rule book. Like the whole book is me saying, 
choose your own boundaries. You can change your boundaries. They're yours to change. You can change your mind. And even yesterday, yesterday I was just in a mood where I was reading it and I was like, mm, that is a bit brutal. That was a bit unnecessary. I didn't need to say that. But like at the time of writing it, that's what I would have written. And that's what I told you as advice because that is literally what I practice. I practice what I preached, what, two months later yeah. it happened to me. And so the story I include in the book is like, I literally send the text I told Honey to send to a different guy, to my guy, two months later, and it worked out well. But And I, I acknowledge in the book, who's to say that, like, it's not the difference between the two guys. You're, it's, you're never going to know that. But all I know is that setting boundaries does shut the door firmly if you don't want that person to reappear. Well, I guess, and you say this in the book of it's protecting yourself from uh, manipulation and people who are taking yeah. advantage and abuse, you know, it's keeping your your time and energy safe. Obviously, the book is called The Joy of Being Selfish. And you start the book right off the back by saying selflessness is not the way to be, which I, I've never read that written down. And obviously, you know, I think so, so many women I know were raised being like, you just want to be selfless and like altruistic and just so kind and just, you know, as small as possible and making yourself as available to everyone as possible. I'd love to hear a bit about why you think we shouldn't be selfless. It was one of those small pet peeves. I don't know if you've ever had this moment where like you hear a word and every time you hear it, you kind of cringe and like there's a thing inside of your brain going like there's something that doesn't sit right with it. And the joy of being selfish, the title was like an accumulation of pretty much every agent in my agency helping me with this title because I couldn't figure out the right title. They came up with the joy, well, we all came up with the joy of being selfish. And I just went, that's it, because I've always had an issue with selfless. And like, the thing I have with selfless is it's always, it's always whenever someone says, um, oh, she's just so selfless. And I was like, it's always that conversation of can you truly ever be selfless? Like, and there's always been those philosophical debates that like when you're selfless, you get like good feelings. So it's not truly selfless because you get something out of it. And I was like, no, but we're going in the wrong direction with that conversation. We're going in the direction of like what it gives you, but you're not actually looking at the reasons behind it. And the reasons behind it, I started noticing that especially I think it was part of the pandemic that once you remove someone's ability to work once you removed someone's ability to provide because the pandemic also limited us in ways which we could provide within friendship provide within relationships you weren't physically around people anymore to do so people's self-esteem really waned and so in the book I talk about the fact that selfless is actually coming from an insecure place and it's coming from the place of providing for others giving to others because they themselves don't feel good enough and I'm, if I'm being honest I wrote that because I think I was that person too I, I joke in the book I was the person who picked up the phone after the first ring and it's not even a joke because my best friend wrote that in my 21st speech she stood up and was like Michelle's the person who jumps on a train um, at the moment you start crying and will go two hours for a 20 minute dinner to go back two hours on the train I did that and I thought it was a good thing and then it was just this moment of would my friend have done the same thing for me? And at the time, no. And also being like, but what was it? And it's this, this pull that you get, this need inside of you to be like, I need to be there for someone. I need to help them. I need to fix them. 
that says more about me than it does about them. And so that's why I think we need to unpick this selfless thing and realize that it's actually filling a void inside of you and you're not doing it for others. I've just been thinking like, why would we want to be selfless? And it does feel like, as if you're trying to fill up this emptiness, your lack of self with other people's good feelings and positivity, or just, I don't know. You're I mean, if you talk about the actual word, it's literally like, forget yourself. Yeah, lack of self, exactly. Yeah. Also, it's that, you know, it's needing other people to validate your existence and not being able to come back to yourself at the end of the day and know who you are. <laughs> So essentially the crux was, I guess if you asked me five years ago, what my biggest problem was, is I intrinsically did not believe I was a good person. And so that affects your relationships, that affects how you relate to other people, because I genuinely could not tell you why anyone would want to be friends with me. So what did I get in return? Friends who literally did not know why they were friends with me. And I remember I said, one of my friends said to me, why, like, because he was like, why are you so surprised when people want to spend time with you? And I was like, well, I'm not surprised. I, I know why people want to be friends with me. And he was like, why do people want to be friends with you? I was like, because I'm a reliable person. That was the main reason I thought people would be friends with me. And then he was like, really? You think that's it? And it was just one of those conversations where I just went, okay, so there has to be more than reliable, but I genuinely can't come up with another reason why someone would want to be friends with me. Because I said to him, but everyone wants a reliable friend. Like when you go down the list of people and no one picks up their phone, you know there's that one person who will always pick up their phone. I'm that friend. And it's so interesting hearing you say that because it sounds like, to me, that's like the easiest thing to bring at the buffet. Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like going to the picnic as being reliable, whereas actually like, you're so funny, you're so smart, you, you light up every room. Like it's like, people aren't your friend because of your reliability, but reliable is a very easy trait to be like, well, people will like me if I am this. But also reliability is a negative thing if I have to be so reliable that I can never not pick up the phone. Do you get what I mean? And so the day I jumped on a train was the day I moved out of university. It was the day I graduated. So I had lugged all my stuff from Bristol to London and then jumped back on a train to go to Cambridge to have dinner with a friend for 20 minutes because she had a lecture to then jump back on the train because she was crying. Like that is not sane or rational or logical in any way. But I dropped my needs of simply just being exhausted from moving all day to take care of a friend because she was upset. Yeah. So... I've been sitting along and just nodding and nodding, <laughs> not saying anything. but um, it might not be rational, but it surely is relatable. I want to get into the conversation about self-esteem and body image that you said right at the very beginning, but even what really strikes me with what you've said so far, there's, there's a huge thing to me that is self-respect. And I think it's just having that utmost respect for yourself and yes. then you can then go from there and I think that's what boundaries allow you to do and I wonder how the two kind of work and operationalize with each other so essentially that's what boundaries are really about like boundaries are really about respect and I truly I've got to the point in my life where I'm like I don't want to be liked I want to be respected and when someone says they respect me either they respect me within my job or just they respect what I do or who I am that's so much bigger than being liked and self-respect comes from not just treating yourself with respect but when someone disrespects you Mm. you actually can be like put your hand up and be like hey hold on stop and that's essentially boundaries yeah so hard to do I'm so excited that you've written this book for people to start working through this for themselves going into that 
point that you raised right at the beginning where you're talking about the self-love and the body positivity kind of not being enough and the relationship there with self-esteem and we know from the research that the two are correlated but they are distinct constructs like they are different and I'd love though to bring it into thinking about boundaries in the context of body image and and maybe focusing particularly about body talk diet chat and, and having boundaries around that I think I first learned boundaries actually around body image because as I said my self-love for my body or my body confidence came way before my self-esteem and so I could very much say don't talk talk about my body like that don't body shame me all of these kind of conversations or walking away from diet conversations all of those things I've been talking about for the last five years and all of that stuff was really controversial the first time I said it Mm. and that is the first time I started realizing it's actually nobody's opinion. It's no one's right. And I can be happy in my body and they can still not understand why I am. And those two thoughts can exist and I don't have to change their opinion because actually a really crucial part of boundaries is realizing someone else, almost what I said about honey, that like honey can think my boundaries are harsh and like my boundaries can still be valid like she can have that opinion and I don't need to change it when I didn't have good boundaries I would need to change that I would have to fix her opinion of me and the funny thing is I always thought if honey held that opinion of me I'm just using honey as an example now if honey held that opinion of me she couldn't also be my friend or she couldn't also love me like you can actually have that I have many friends in my life who would not live their way I live my life who would not have the same boundaries as me and think my boundaries are I had one friend call it unforgiving the other day and still love me still want me in my life just wouldn't operate the way I operate so it very much first started with body image and then I think what what was my next step was realizing, okay, so people can treat my body with respect, but they still aren't treating me with respect. And that could be trying to change my personality, trying to change um, how I'm doing things, how I'm living my life, any kind of thing. And just because it wasn't to do with my body, I couldn't set the same boundary of like, no, don't do that. And so that for me was when the self-esteem started coming in. And what you were saying about self-respect was the fact that you have to actually start believing you deserve that respect. And because I didn't, I didn't have the self-respect, I didn't respect myself. Therefore, I didn't believe I deserved other people's respect. And in the same way that like, I couldn't understand why someone would want to be friends with me. I mean, the, the exercise I've done with all of those things is I, I've written a hundred reasons why someone would want to be friends with me. And like people say a hundred did you mean 10? And I was like, no, I mean 100. They were like, but that's a really long list. And I was like, yeah, and it took me three hours because I sat there being like, okay, come on, dig deep, try to find some more. I've done that for 100 reasons why someone would want to date me, 100 reasons why someone would want to hire me as a life coach, 100 reasons why someone would respect me. To fully believe in yourself, you should be able to list 100 reasons like it's your job. And that's what I say in the book. It is your job because it's no one else's job. And so if you don't respect yourself, you need to, I think the easiest way rather than trying to change the belief or trying to change the thoughts, change your behavior, start acting like a person who respects themselves. And I want to be clear about that because I think a lot of the time when people say, be a person who respects, it's very diet culture And so like, they'll be like, a person who respects themselves doesn't sit on the sofa all day. I do, and I respect myself. (laughs) um, It it comes from like a self-care thing of like being like, telling yourself that you're worth 
you know, you're worth anything. Yeah. You're worth looking after yourself. You're worth sitting on the couch all day if that's what you want to do. You're worth washing your hair. You're worth, you know, seeing your but friends. You are worth that. the definition of like being a self-respecting person from being a like um, highly disciplined, routine, regimental yeah. person. Because I am not that. Actually, part of my self-respect is re- recognizing routines don't work for me. They also don't benefit my mental health. They stress me out. They put pressure on me and I'd never stick to them for longer than a day respecting that I am different to the generic self-help advice that is out there is respect and uh, knowing what is me and knowing that that's a valid way to exist is respecting myself but I think uh, it's another thing diet culture is ruined because anytime I hear the the phrase like you need to respect yourself. I always think of those diet, I, especially the exercise ones, like a person who ex- uh, respects themselves goes to the gym every day. And I'm like, or the person who respects themselves. It's a lot more about your relationship in, like forget everything else, forget the external world. It's about how you speak to yourself. And it's about how you truly believe you deserve to be treated. Yeah, and being able to connect and hear your body as well. So if your body needs rest, respecting that need as well. And it's really interesting to hear you say that it was easier for you or your starting point was in this body image conversation. Do you have a sense of why that is? Or is it just because you were in that setting at the time and that was your gateway in? Self-development is always like an onion, right? Mm -hmm. And you always start with the thing that is obstructing your life the most. Basically, the majority of people, they only really change once it's such a big inconvenience to their life that they have to change it. So the biggest inconvenience to my life when I started working on my body image was the fact that I would not take my top off in front of a boy because I had scars on my stomach. So that, boys, was the biggest obstacle in my life. That was the one thing I was like, I'd have the perfect life if I could only date a guy. So that became the first thing I wanted to fix. And then, okay, so that was fixed. Got a boyfriend. Great. Uh, also not insecure about my scars. Okay. Well, the next thing is like, I actually have to be able to talk about my surgeries because otherwise I can't actually be like vulnerable with a human being and I can't be intimate. Okay. Let me address the PTSD and all the like mental crap that came with the scars. So then I dealt with my medical trauma. I believe everyone still always has problems. Like no matter how evolved and developed you become, you always have problems. Your quality of problems get better though. And so the problem of like, I am so shrouded in shame that I can't even talk about this disappeared. But then the next problem came of like, okay, I can talk about it now, but I don't really like the people who I'm talking about it to, or I'm not really liking their responses okay, so what do we do about that? Boundaries, I need to cut these people out of my life. But I'm surprised anyone's friends with me. So how do I cut people out of my life when I don't even believe I deserve these people in the first place? So then that's where the self-esteem came. I get what you mean by it's very unusual that that's the first thing that comes first because what I've always said is like our bodies become our greatest excuses, that like it becomes the punching bag of when everything in your life is going wrong. But I think the reason why that became the first for me is because my scars were unchangeable in a way that a lot of body insecurities are. Um, So even if you are insecure about your nose, you can get a nose job. Whereas like, what, you're meant to get plastic surgery for surgery scars? Like, doesn't really make sense. So I had no choice. And when you've got your back up against the wall and you have no choice, often that's when you're pushed into actually creating that change. 
makes a lot of sense and that onion analogy is really helpful for seeing how that unravels I think that's great and the final I guess question on on this topic because I think you do this so well is how and I know this is something that I think our listeners would really benefit from is responding and dealing with those boundaries about when you have those unsolicited comments about your body um, when people are making those and how do you put that boundary in place so as a beginning step like if I go back to the very first time I did it silence is powerful also silence makes people feel really uncomfortable so if they body shame you and you just stare at them and you say nothing back they will either attract what they said or they'll move the conversation on I mean they could keep going because that has also happened before like I feel like if they say something negative and you just stare them down they will (laughs) shit themselves like (laughs) I mean it's an automatic (laughs) equation it's just gonna happen but if they don't if they keep going then you can go I'm going to go get a drink as a baby step that's the first thing you do I'm gonna go get a drink I need to go to the toilet um great talking to you bye like leave the conversation the next step, if, if you feel like it's appropriate, and this is where, I again, I try to be as flexible as I can around boundaries because not every person is worth this effort. And that's what I've realised. At the beginning, I was very much like, you can tell people, like, you do not talk about my body like that. And then I found myself not doing it some of the time. And it wasn't because I... It was largely because I was so unaffected by their words that I was like, I just don't even have the energy to have this conversation. So I would just walk away. If it's, if it's someone who's recurring in my life, who actually has an emotional impact on me, then I will say, do not comment on my body. And I, I won't lie, there are family friends who I have had to say this repetitively for two years in order for it to actually take effect. So I used to go to Thailand every Christmas and um, before the pandemic and from 2015 I would wear bikinis and the first time I realized they actually had stopped commenting on my body was that a day I came down in a bikini and they went oh you've got a new bikini and I went they commented on the bikini not my body (laughs) that's so nice and I literally was like and so then I started noticing it. I was like, have they actually said anything? They, um, there was, it took two years of me repeatedly going, do not comment on my body. Because what happens is when you first start to learn boundaries, people don't think you're serious. Also, they don't know this side of you. This side is new. And you also don't know this side of you. And so they will test that boundary. And sometimes they'll test that boundary for two years. And for you to continually say it, I don't, and I say this in the book, I don't know whether they gave up on the fact that I will ever lose weight. I don't know if they got bored of the conversation because it always went nowhere or whether they had some epiphany in their own body image. But all I know was that me being persistent and consistent with it was what changed that. And so I think the pivotal thing around it is actually giving yourself the permission to say those things. And people worry about being impolite or rude. But again, like you could just leave the conversation by saying you need to go get a drink. But I always think if it's someone who's going to be stuck in your life for a long time, setting that boundary is a really important part of the respect thing. And it's a really important part of being like, no, you don't get to be shit to my body. My body's done a great job of being there for me. And I just don't really like she doesn't need to put up with this. So forget me, forget me and my brain. My body as a like separate thing to me does not deserve this. Yeah. Well, I think it hurts you in the long run every time you swallow, you know, you swallow a comment like that from someone and just take it. You know what I mean? I think it feels like a level of self-betrayal. Whereas if you set that boundary and continue to reinforce it, it's like, 
you are showing up for yourself and you are telling yourself that you are worth someone it's showing so up for them. You said that because when you said swallow it, like that it actually sentences in the book. So I'm like, that's not metaphorical. That's literal. Like when you swallow it, you're literally taking whatever shame, whatever negative uh, emotion they're trying to bring up into the conversation and literally going, oh, I'll just keep the peace and let me just take it on. And you walk away from that conversation yep. feeling worse and they carry none of it. Whereas it's like, no, actually yep. you deserve this. You could take that back. I don't need to carry it for you. Yeah, I mean, that's a line you have in the book, which I love so much is, I wrote it down, I loved it so much, which was, that is your shame, it doesn't belong to me. Someone tries to put that on you and it's like, no, no, that's a you thing. That is firmly a you thing and not a me thing. And you, you know, why should we be the ones that have to deal with other people's shit so the place in the book where i say that it actually relates to what nadia was saying about body image because it was around a person whose mum was saying you'll be really unhappy walking down the aisle at at your weight and she went no you would be really unhappy walking down the aisle at my weight i am really happy walking down the aisle at my weight that's your shame and you can keep it and that's what the other person is saying the other person is putting themselves in your shoes and going I would hate to walk down the aisle at your weight, but I'm not you and you're not me. So stop trying to make me feel how you would feel. So I actually think we might have spoken about this when we spoke on our very first episode with you about social media and how you have your two different accounts or you did at the time and how people reacted with you. But I think something that feels very relevant to the time especially being in lockdown and we're on our phones a lot more how do you manage boundaries around social media it's actually quite funny because I remember our first podcast recording and you both telling me how much you love my memes account and me knowing in the back of my head I'm about to shut that account down but actually I do think that was my greatest example Mm -hmm. of boundaries and it's a hard thing to do if you told anyone nowadays especially young kids who want to be influencers Mm -hmm. I shut down an account with 130, I don't even know how many followers, 130,000 followers, something like that. Like, and I've not posted on it since. I mean, I think I posted the book once this year, but like, it doesn't but exist. That's a I don't... flex. That's a huge flex to just be like, <laughs> I am not, this This is not sparking mm. joy anymore. I will never run the but account. No, it's mainly, I do not deserve to be treated like this. And how yeah. I was being treated on that account was awful and I don't know how I created an account that had such a different audience to my main account but I've been really strict in the pandemic um and at the same time if it's possible being more forgiving because I was already trying to work on getting my screen time down at, at the beginning of 2020 but realistically I live alone the only way I talk to people is by being on FaceTime if I calculated my screen time like one FaceTime call could be two hours in itself um, and so I'm forgiving around that, but also more strict around turning my phone off every night, not having my phone in my bedroom. Um, at the moment, I'm actually not turning my phone on until 11 o'clock in the morning, which has been so nice. And when I say it's so nice, like, don't get me wrong, there are still moments of anxiety where I go, but what if someone needs me? Or like, there are moments where I'm like, oh, but what if this is happening and I don't have access to my phone? What I tell myself in those moments is that is all ego. Shut it down. Like, it's not... Whatever is going on in my phone, everyone can wait an hour. Because realistically, by 11 o'clock, people have been in work for an hour and a half. So they get... like If they literally send me... Or two hours if you go in at nine. If they literally send me an email at nine o'clock on the dot, they've waited two hours for a reply. 
waiting two hours for an email reply is not an extended period of time. And so realizing no one really needs you as much as you hope people need you. And that's actually what it comes from. And also the fact that I've just become conscious about when I'm doom scrolling. Mm. I try to not click on the app if I feel bad already. Yeah. And I think what I'm hoping for in the back of my brain, I've tried to unpick it a bit, is external validation. But what I then do is actually make myself really vulnerable to whatever negatives on there. And so um, social media has been great for feeling connection during the pandemic. And I don't want to completely say it's completely rubbish. But I also... I think have got to a point where I'm like, <sighs> I I went on a prolonged digital detox mm. over Christmas and last year I did the same and every year I kind of have a like have a hard time coming back to social media because I realise that I just don't spend the whole day thinking as soon as social media is back in my life, partially because it's my job, I'm always thinking about the next piece of content to create and. I don't know, maybe there'll be one day where I don't have it in my life and I think I'm capable of making that decision and I kind of proved it with body positive memes that like if it gets to the point where the positive outweighs the negative then I have an out button. Yeah, I think it is having that balance and I appreciate what you're saying about being forgiving especially in this moment about it as well in terms of there are positives and sometimes you need it and although you might have an objective to reduce screen time or whatever there's still bits where yeah you do need that two hour FaceTime call like that's that's enriching and that's something that's that's valuable yeah. so it's, it's being able to kind of balance balance that but I think lots of people are trying to navigate their through social media use over this this period for sure and god it's so hard yeah. I mean it's so hard especially right now when it's like what else is there to do but it can be very claustrophobic um you've already shared the not turning the phone on in the morning and turning the phone off before bed which is quite groundbreaking and I have tried the morning one and wow what a difference it makes having the phone off in the morning are there any you know I think to wrap it up I think this would be lovely is do you have any kind of daily boundaries that you hold with yourself you know daily promises apart from those that you want to talk about um the daily promise at the moment I mean I'm in publication week so my daily promise to myself at the moment is that no matter what my emotions are, no matter what my reactions are, I'm allowed to have every feeling. What I am not allowed to have is every behaviour. So <laughs> when I like I get a very angry emotion that this and that is happening and I'm going to go fix that, I write the draft email and then I delete it. And I go, no, okay, let's actually logically think what the consequence of this email is going to be. Is it positive? No, delete it. Okay, find something else to do. So you're allowed your emotions, just not your behavior is a huge thing that I'm practicing right now. Another thing that I'm having good boundaries around is um, I'm doing these uh, press conversations, I guess, a lot differently. I've had six years of everyone asking about every single piece of my trauma for years and I am so glad that my career's very purposely gone in a different direction and I this has been a gradual change and an intentional change that I've been putting in place in the last two years partially because I was burnt out from this overexposure of having to constantly talk about my trauma and it felt like giving away pieces of myself and 
to now be interviewed as an expert on boundaries about my knowledge as a life coach and less so about my past and my history. I think the best way you learn is by telling stories and examples from my own life. And I think the best way you can teach as a life coach is to not come across as a perfect human. It's the way I've always taught as a life coach. So of course there are going to be stories about my personal life, but not in a way that brings up such traumatic memories. And that is a really nice thing. I I actually still remember the first interview I did around this book. And I got off the call and the first thing I thought was, they didn't ask me about my body once. And it was just like, oh my God, I can actually like talk about this stuff. And even when I talk about my body now, it's in the context of boundaries. It's not about like my surgeries or all of that stuff. But I can bring it into conversation because it is part of my life and it is part of my history. But when I want to now, and it's not the main question, if that makes sense. And that's a beautiful thing that has taken a turn. And I think it's taken a while for like my audience to realise that this change in my career has been quite conscious and intentional. But they needed some time to catch up with me because <laughs> I was like, I'm moving my way out. And I'm always going to be a body positive person. But I just... To be honest, I didn't like the way it was going online and I didn't like the way that body positive now became a code for you have access to every single part of me. And including stuff like you'd be asked to do a photo shoot and then like if I, God forbid, want to be clothed in the photo shoot, they'd be like, oh no, we don't want that. Sorry, we'll find someone else. (laughs) Sorry, what? (laughs) Did you want me for the photo shoot or did you want my scars for the photo shoot? Like that is bonkers to me michelle as always it's just a joy to speak with you you're oh, it's been so lovely the wisest most wonderful woman we're very grateful that you've brought this wonderful book into our lives thank you both for being so incredibly supportive about my book and also i'm glad you're enjoying reading it it's so nice that people are reading it yeah it's amazing lovely michelle where can we find you uh, I'm at Scarred Not Scared on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and I've got a podcast called In All Honesty. Thank you for listening to The Body Protest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate, and review. You can follow Honey on Instagram at honeykinney. And you can follow Nadia at nadia.craddock. This podcast is produced and edited by the glorious Daisy Grant. And it's brought to you by the Pink Protest Podcast Network. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.